Jazakum Allah khairan. Okay. Let me uh, first of all quickly give you some house rules. Hold on to your questions, inshallah ta'ala. Just listen to the uh, house rules first, inshallah ta'ala. If there are brothers who would like to participate but they haven't got seating space, let me once again remind that we have a, a marquee or a tent, inshallah. Secondly, there are stewards standing on the sides of the hall with the yellow jackets. They should be given the question papers when the need arises, inshallah. And they will pass, it on, pass the questions on to me, inshallah. So you don't, inshallah, need to get up and walk all the way over here and then go back to your seats, inshallah. The third thing, the stewards also carry radio mics with them. Some are available. So if there is a need for a person from the audience to ask a question, then he should wait until the mic is provided for him, inshallah. Then everybody can hear. And all we have to do is make sure the sisters can hear as well due to the audiovisual link-up. There are, all the questions have been put into categories, mostly in terms of the speakers. So, for example, Sheikh Salim has got a whole bunch of questions relates to his two talks that he had done. We're going to try and go through the questions that have come over the period of the last two days first. And as each question gets answered, there might be that somebody needs further clarification or a related issue to be uh, asked about. And in, only in those cases we will take questions from the floor. But not, otherwise we will not. We'll just go through questions in the categories. I haven't, I'm, I, well, I, I'm not going to go and try and sift through them and categorize them even further. So it's going to be at random, which are whatever comes up. If that's not really relevant to the topic or to the speaker, we just put it aside and go with the next one. But I can guarantee we will not be able to finish all the questions anyway. So you have to forgive me for failing in this task. This is there. There's just, just too many. Most of the general questions I'm going to tend to ask Sheikh Jafar and... Uh, some of the speakers have not turned up because one of them have left. Sheikh Suhaib Hassan had to go back because he got an engagement tomorrow morning. And Sheikh Anwar is not feeling very well. He's actually gone to bed. He feels sick and so on. May Allah give him recovery very quickly, inshallah. So that, 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 due to one or two reasons, some speakers can't come. So not all of them are here today. But I think we're more than enough anyway. Alhamdulillah. So I'm going to start off with a general question and ask uh, Sheikh Jafar Idris first, if I can read the question. Okay. Sorry, one more point. Regarding sisters' questions, there is a bunch of sisters' questions in a bag. They're all general questions. They'll get asked a bit later in a different session, perhaps. We'll try to accommodate a different session if we can. But the sisters' questions are also mixed with these lot over here pertaining to the topics, inshallah. The first question to Sheikh Jafar. Do you get blessings for looking after a cat? Is it right to keep a cat as a house pet? Can you read Salat with the same clothes if you have been uh, playing with your cat? Um, yes. For, for, for all the questions, yes. <laughs> okay. Question to Sheikh uh, Salim. Is it true that Imam Mahdi will come from eastern Afghanistan at the age of 40. Is that to me? No, Sheikh Salim al His topic. Alhamdulillah, No, the Mahdi is not come from, coming from Afghanistan and the Hadith is weak. The Mahdi is from the family of the Prophet Sallallahu as as they mentioned, the bay'ah will be given to him in the Haram, as in Sahih Muslim. So we should not be fooled by these unauthentic narrations. 
I hasten to add that the speakers do have the right to refer the questions to each other. Yeah. And you know, anyone can answer anybody else's question as well. That's so, good news, yeah. but... <laughs> okay. This is for Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif. How do you know we are sincere? Do you, how do you recognize that we are sincere? Can you feel within your heart that Allah has forgiven you? According to any specific uh, moment, uh, specific, uh, moment, moment in time. How do we know if we're sincere? Yeah, how do you know that you're repentant? I don't know if, if you've seen the game Jeopardy, but I feel like some of these questions are coming like this. So inshallah we're going to try our, our best. <laughs> First of all, that a person, they, they try their best to be sincere, but the reality of their sincerity, wallahu alam, is with Allah Azza And a person doesn't know that Allah Azza accepted their actions or not. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَّلُ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from the mutaqeen. So a person doesn't know if he, his action was done with the true taqwa of Allah azza And in fact, that shows that a person should never get arrogant with their actions that they are doing because they do not know if Allah azza has accepted this or not. Of course, there are signs that inshaAllah, Allah may have accepted something for a person. But for sure, the person finds out in, when they pass away and when they die. That's the reality of whether they were truly sincere or not. And we have, uh, such as Umar radiallahu anhu, when he went to Hudayfa radiallahu anhu, asking about uh, the nifaq, and he asked him, did Allah azawajal include, sorry, did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam include me with the munafiqeen? And this was Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. And even in his situation, he was afraid that Maybe his actions were not accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May I add one? Uh, so it is a mark of sincerity that you feel that you are not sincere. Uh, uh, one, uh, who was it this, uh, who met uh, uh, about 70 of the companions of the Prophet? He said he met them. And he said that every one of them was uh, yeah, fearing, fearing that he might be a hypocrite. Now, if the brother's question is related to what they are saying, yeah, please, go ahead. Yeah, the mic is coming. Just a quick question for Sheikh Salim al Amri about uh, the question about the Daif hadith. Uh, the hadith, yeah, alhamdulillah, jazakumullah khair, we know it's da'if, but does that 100% guarantee he's not from there? Because the answer was clear that he's definitely not coming from Eastern Afghanistan. So do we have dalil that he's definitely not coming from Eastern Afghanistan? Jazakumullah khair. Yes, first of all, the, the Mahdi himself, we know the hadith about the Mahdi, he's from the family of the Prophet sallallahu Muhammad ibn Abdullah al-Mahdi. And whether that Muhammad Abdullah al-Mahdi Will, is living there or not, that is Allah only knows. Okay? But when I refuted, I refuted the hadith that, that they will come with black banners, etc., etc. Yeah. That hadith is unauthentic. But the Mahdi is an Arab, he's from Quraysh, from the family from the Prophet, from among the descendants of Al Hassan, not Al Hussein in particular. And he looks like the Prophet, and the bay'ah will be given to him inside the haram. Okay? That is, we have to understand this. So when the scholars and the haram they say this is the Mahdi, 
then we'll rush to give the bayah. Inshallah. Even if he comes from Afghanistan. No problem. <laughs> okay, the next question I have is for Brother Shabir. Uh, sometimes I get the feeling that my non-Muslim friends know that God exists, but they don't want to give up their atheist ideas because then it will mean they have to give up drinking, partying, etc. And when I want to go into depth about explaining about paradise, they don't want to listen. What can I do about this? Well, if somebody knows that Allah is a reality and that person does not want to give up his or her lifestyle in order to embrace Allah, well, this is how people fear they fail their tests. They know now they have responsibility, they're not responding. There's not much you can do. In Allah, Yahdiman Ahbabta, you do not guide whom you wish to guide, but it's Allah who guides uh, whom He wishes. So if these people are not choosing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah also doesn't choose them. And it's a mutual agreement, and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a way of dealing with such people as well. But because we don't know really what's in the person's mind, we try our best to deal with these people. And when we talk to atheists, one of the things that I didn't mention before and I'll mention now, is that we should ask them what will happen to them if they die now. Do they have any guarantee? Okay, they will say to you, we don't believe that life after death is a reality. But ask them, can you be sure? And once you have just planted that question in their minds, uh, hopefully during the night they'll wake up and say, you know what, that Muslim is right. I, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. What if I die now? Maybe I better call him up and ask him how I take shahada. <laughs> and, and it seems that that is the case with um, everyone. Because uh, belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that Allah put in the nature of every human being. So even uh, Fir'aun, Pharaoh, uh, who, uh, who said that he didn't believe in uh, the existence of God and who said that he himself was God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about them, وَجَحَدُوا بِهَا وَاسْتَيْقَنَتْهَا أَنفُسُهُمْ ظُلْمًا They denied it, but they entered, uh, as you say, heart of hearts. <laughs> they knew that it was the truth, but they denied it because of arrogance and uh, what, uluwa? I don't know. Translate uh, uluwa. I mean, it can be just for worldly, yeah. worldly uh, position or something. No. For Dr. Mamdouh, uh, how do you begin discussions with a da'wah focused from a platform of tawheed, practically speaking? From? Uh, a platform of tawheed. How do you begin discussions with the da'wah focus from a platform of tawheed, practically? Can you give us an example? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. It doesn't seem that I started from this point. Uh, uh, usually I start by giving a lecture or something and then the question rises and from there I respond to them. Uh, but uh, usually you try to prove that there is only one God uh, for the universe and you start from there. That's what I uh, usually do. But I don't have uh, practical experience in particular for that. Uh, if, if Brother Shabir... Well, actually, I'll, shake, I'll, I'll save uh, Sheikh Jafar the trouble because he already told me how, how we should answer a question like this or how we talk to a person and keep it simple and just uh, lead this person <coughs> to Tawheed. So you, you talk to a person and ask them, you know, do they think that uh, 
It is easy for human beings to discover what is good for them, like clothes to wear, food to eat, and so on. Of course, they will say, yeah, human beings have this level of wisdom, and so on. Is religion more important than all of these things? Our final outcome, what's going to happen to us forever? Yes, obviously. Uh, would Allah, if he exists, uh, make it easy for people to understand how to approach him? Uh, of course, yes. And uh, then you lead them gradually to show them that, uh, of course, it cannot be uh, through the Trinitarian doctrine, for example, because that's so confusing. It wouldn't be from Allah. In fact, even the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. So God is not going to give such a complicated and complex doctrine that is so difficult for the mind to fathom. It is going to be simple. And you lead them step by step, uh, let them look at all of the mythologies and so on that are, are surrounding them and calling them to different directions and show them the simplicity of the Islamic call, there is only one God. If you want to take it further from that, we can argue the way I have already presented in my talk, that in fact there is only one God and all of the organization of the universe is pointing to the existence of, of only one God. Some people thought there must be two gods in the universe because there is the presence of evil and there must be a God that created the evil. But the answer to that in Islam is kullum min indillah. Everything is from Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Shaykh Salim explained to me uh, today, has a universal will and a will shari'ah. So his iratul qawniyah, his universal will, is to allow evil to exist uh, for some good reasons that, is, that are best known to him. But his iratul shari'ah, or his, uh, his will as expressed in the sharia, shows what he is pleased with and what he is not pleased with. So the, the evils that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows to exist by his universal will for good reasons which are known to himself uh, are, are also from him. And we can say, and so there is no need to assert that there is a second God who is the creator of evil things. So in, in a nutshell then, everything, the entire organization of the universe is pointing towards the existence of a single God. In fact, I mentioned the existence of the four physical constants that govern all of physical activity. And the scientists are convinced that uh, all of these four physical constants uh, should have a single explanation so they are searching for what they refer to as the Grand Unified Theory. And they short uh, name that uh, by the acronym GUT, G-U-T. So they are convinced that there is a single explanation behind everything, and we are telling them what that single explanation is. So yes, we always start our uh, da'wah with Tawheed, and we invite them to think about the organization of the universe. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala invites them to think, had there been other gods, would there not have been chaos? around us. And in fact, we, what we have is not chaos around us, but cosmos. It is an organized whole, and that points to a single reality. For Sheikh Jafar Idris, many Muslims were seen celebrating after 9-11. Is this a sign of extremism in the deen? Why do you think the Muslims were so slow in condemning it? And did... Well, anyway, the last one I'll leave, it's about a particular person. So uh, Muslims are celebrating... But the questioner thinks that many Muslims were seen celebrating after 9-11. Maybe he or she saw some images on TV program and so forth. That some people are celebrating that? Yeah, we're not aware of any celebrations in England, but uh, that's what she's saying. But if Muslims there was, Muslims, no, that, we're not aware. Muslims had. Mm. But if Muslims had done that, is that, is that a sign of extremism in the deen? And I assure you, the, these Muslims cannot be in the United States because Muslims are scared. <laughs> they will not <laughs> make any celebrations <laughs> like this. Perhaps... Uh, some Muslims in some uh, parts, other parts of the, uh, of the world. But uh, I think it is wrong. It is wrong. And the Muslims were slow in condemning. 
because first, they, uh, no one was sure that that was done uh, by any, uh, any Muslims. In fact, there are Muslims still, like Sheikh, uh, do not believe that that was done uh, by Muslims. And, uh, uh, but many of us condemned it. I was um, one of those who condemned it. Uh, in the Friday after the, uh, uh, the, the, the incident took place. Now, but many Americans and all Europeans are asking us to, to say things which we are not allowed to say in our religion. So we don't take our fatwa from them. They say you must say that these people will not go to paradise. Who am I to say this? <laughs> Allah knows their intention. He might um, put them in the best place in paradise. And that is not, uh, I don't decide that. Uh, so we, we say what we are allowed to say according to our religion. We say that this is an act of aggression, that uh, many of the people who were killed were innocent people, and, and, and that is not allowed in Islam. And we quote the famous verse, وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ أَنْ صَدُّوكُمْ عَنِ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ أَنْ تَعْتَدُوا وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى وَلَا تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِسْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ And as I told you in my, in my speech, uh, Ibn Kathir said, commenting on this verse, that justice is, is, is incumbent on everyone, with everyone, in, all, in every Please. situation. So we don't uh, have double standards when, he, when it comes to these basic uh, moral values. This is for Sheikh Salim. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, sorry? The brother behind you first. Yeah, go on. Yeah, um, I'm American, and I was in America when it happened. And yes, uh, what they did was it was a kind of like a propaganda move. They showed people in Palestine jumping around for joy and things, but it was more or less a picture showing these people saying that, look, this can happen to you too. You've been doing it to everybody else. And they were responding. It was children and young people. So it was more of a propaganda move by the media to make other Americans upset at Muslims. So that, that was the issue. So don't be confused on that. Nobody actually, like the Sheikh said, knew who done it, nor knows now who done it, or even how they did it. You know, that, that was a big plan. These, whoever was dry, flying that plane, they flew that plane like it was a BMW. And that's not easy. Yeah, that's not, not an easy task. It takes a very experienced person and another thing that you got to realize, too, that nobody was able to trace it back. Even to this day, we can't even trace it back. Where the money came from, where was they organized, where were they meeting. And, uh, you know, it's not that easy to be able to do that to people who have satellites looking at everybody on the earth. So there might have been some conspiracy there. So from our end and representing some of the people in the United States, we don't think that this was... Uh, something that was small. This was a big thing that happened. It's like killing uh, President Kennedy. They can do that and tell everybody else that somebody else did it. So please keep that in mind. No, but what we say is that whether whoever did it 
he did something wrong, whether, whether it was done by a Muslim or not. And by the way, many people um, uh, realize that those pictures were, in fact, uh, they were taken on other occasions before 9 11. No, this was so and the they shadows were, were before, before Maghrib. No. The shadows of the people showed that it is before Maghrib, it's not at that time. Can I just remind the audience that when you hand the mic, you hand the mic back to the steward, not in, to the audience, inshallah. Okay, the big, it gets confusing, but he's about to ask a question and Sheikh Haytham is going to ask instead. Sheikh, uh, don't you think that... Sheikh, don't you think that to start with condemning is uh, by itself is mistake even from Sharia point of view? Because condemned is that as you, if you give a statement and you are in a court, and we know uh, a reference in Sharia that if somebody came to you while he lost one of his eyes, you cannot condemn and you cannot give a statement that whoever did this against you is a mistaker. Okay? Unless you see the other person, he might lose both of his eyes. Okay, so we cannot judge in this case unless we really know who did it, why they did it, what are their reasons, what are their justification. And the other thing, don't you think that United States at that time they just asked for the uh, for the Muslim to condemn that as a trap for them and as excuse for United States to uh, do the aggression against our Muslims in Afghanistan. So sometimes to block the means to the sharr, especially to the big evil like United States, is something to be considered in when giving fatawa uh, or when giving opinions about what's going on. But you see, if you, if you follow if you follow the condition that you mentioned in the first, yeah, we cannot condemn anything. But we condemn according to our knowledge of what happened. We say that the apparently and what happened is something that is uh, unacceptable in Islam. If it turns out later on that this was done for some good reasons, <laughs> then uh, uh, perhaps we can change our opinion. As to the second uh, uh, opinion, I assure you when many of us condemn this, we received no, uh, <laughs> no orders from uh, anyone in the uh, United States. But we said what, what we honestly believed was, to the best of our knowledge, is something that is, is wrong, according to our Islamic principles. No. Let, me, let me add something. Uh, I think what you mentioned here, if, if, if the case is between two individual persons per se, but here is there is a third party, which is the innocent people who are working in that building. Uh, so some if, if and some of them are even Muslims, yeah, 400 people or more are considered Muslims. So uh, I think we, we need to differentiate between when it is an individual issue and when a third party is involved, which is all those innocent people, whether we're Muslims or not. Brother behind uh, Sheikh Haitham, uh, do you still want to ask a question? That's okay. 
Um, if we get too far down this line, we'll never get through to any of these anymore. So if we can just stop it there now, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan. No, we're going to stop there now and we're going to continue with this now, inshallah. And then come back to you again later. Yeah, inshallah. No. I'm going to ask Sheikh Saleh Maramri now the next question, inshallah. Uh, does the situation in Palestine and September the 11th have a bearing on the last hour? Alhamdulillah. First of all, brothers, I don't know why the Muslims, they are trying to defend themselves when there is no proof, when there is no concrete evidence has been produced that they are the ones who did it. Why? Why we are defending ourselves? We are not guilty. Prove that, first of all, Muslims, they did it. Then, if the Muslim did it, then they, it will be discussed. Does it agree with the Sharia or doesn't? First of all, reduce your evidence. You don't have anything. And the Muslims, they are always trying to defend themselves. No, we didn't do it. Who said that you did it? Okay? So first of all, prove to me that I did it. Show me the evidence. Number one. Number two, that we mix two things. There are cases in the Sharia where <coughs> even when the non-Muslims... Uh, men, children, mixed together, and there's no way to differentiate it during the war and jihad, where they can be killed. They have children. Not only that, in Islam, if the enemies of Islam are using the Muslims as human shield, you kill the Muslims. Okay? That is known. But these things, these, the rulings about the jihad, who will give the fatwa? Those who are authorized. The scholars. Those who are deeply rooted, not those who are enthusiastic, who can pull the ummah to a confrontation with the enemies of Islam when the ummah is not ready for it. So we have to differentiate that. We should not go to neither to this extreme or that extreme. Uh, what's the question again? <laughs> the question was... No, but, but, but don't, 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 you think, don't you think that we have to say that this, uh, what, uh, the act is wrong? Irrespective of who did it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. But it depends then upon the, what they call the circumstantial circumst uh, evidences. It depends upon the condition. Yes, what? I didn't answer the question. What is it? Yeah, the question was uh, the 9-11 incident. Does that have a bearing on our understanding of the Does hour? Does it have what? A bearing. Yeah, like, is the hour near? Is the hour far? Does it, is that a sign of some sort? In Palestine. Is it relevant to the no, hour? No, 9-11. In general, in general, uh, we are heading towards the hour, number one. And every day we are getting closer and closer. And every day we see a fulfillment of one of the prophecies. But things actually, they are escalating so fast and so drastically. That's why many of the scholars, they are saying we are heading towards it. But this, we don't know. The time frame we cannot fix. Is it 10 years? Is it 20 years? 30 years? We don't know. But when the event happens, then we look and check it. In the, not that we take the prophecy and say, this is going to happen. This is what's happening to the people of the book. They do with the prophecy, they will put a date. It is going to happen in this. Then the date will come. No. Then they will start to explain the prophecy again. No, we Muslims don't do that. If it happens according to the prophecy, say Alhamdulillah. This is what the Prophet ﷺ said. And Muslims should prepare themselves, and we are heading towards that. And Allah knows best. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif, I would like to know 
how someone should go about mending a relationship with a brother while they are still upset with him or still hurt by his actions. Bismillah. <clears throat> I think firstly when a person, um, even though they're hurt by their brother, they have to realize that them uh, cutting off from their brother is a sin that's standing between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they have to be sincere to Allah azza wa jal and, and work hard on their feelings. Because the feelings a person has, the feelings come from the inside and the person actually has control over the, those feelings. And this is a commandment uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger that the person can continue on in cutting off their brother over three days. So the person has to work hard in, uh, in fighting those feelings. <clears throat> in different ways um, to, to go about this, and, and it just depends on the situation. For example, that um, even though a person may, may have hard feelings of the Prophet wasallam. And he taught us examples of, of ways that love comes between a person, such as spreading salam amongst people, such as giving gifts among one another. You'll see when there's animosity between uh, two people, one of them, for example, buys a gift for the person, something very special, and they say, look, I'm sorry. These kind of uh, things that you can find in the sunnah of the, of the Prophet ﷺ will have an effect in melting uh, that ice and that... Um, and that anger that's standing between those two brothers. Allah. Exactly. I would just like to add here. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that the deeds will be will ascend to Allah on Monday and on Thursday. That's why the Prophet ﷺ used to fast. And Allah will accept the deeds of the Muslims, except two. Those who have enmity and hatred. Those who cut relationship with each other. Allah will say, leave your their deeds aside until they come back. Until they come back. To Sheikh Shabir Alino, I know some people who give da'wah and they're very good at it. However, they have, no, they have bad character. Isn't that hypocritical to be like that? Mm. Uh, yes, in fact, um, Sheikh Jafar in one of his presentations mentioned uh, the case of Shu'aib who, according to the Quran, said to his people, I don't wish to do something contrary to what I'm commanding you to do. That is in Surah 11. Ayah number 88. And we see other verses of the Quran actually commanding Muslims, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, that they must in fact make sure that the deeds are according to the da'wah. Indirectly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked the, the people of Israel, Do you command people with bir and you forget yourselves while you're reading the scripture? Have you no sense? And uh, in Surah Saf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, uh, why do you say that which you do not do? It is hateful. That you say that which you do not do. It is very hateful in the sight of Allah that you say that which you do not do. In other words, that your actions should match your da'wah. Now, Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, in, uh, his, uh, in his tafsir, uh, talks about the possibility that maybe someone is giving da'wah and his actions are not up to standard. So what should he do now? Should he stop his da'wah? And Ibn Kathir Allah says that uh, no, he shouldn't stop his da'wah because he has two requirements. One requirement is to give da'wah and the second requirement is to follow up his da'wah with good deeds. So just because he's failing on the second one doesn't mean he should stop the first one. So we shouldn't understand these uh, ayat in that way that no, you stop all da'wah until you become perfect. 
No, you should keep giving your da'wah and at the same time let your da'wah be a reminder to yourselves that you should perfect yourselves as you're going and let your actions match your da'wah. May I add? But you should be careful not to give the person the feeling that you are hypocritical. What Ibn Kathir mentioned is something like, suppose that someone drinks wine. But he goes and tells the people not to drink. It is, it, 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 it is bad. I can tell you from experience. <laughs> so he's confessing that, um, that, that he drinks. <coughs> or he tells his children not to smoke. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him reward for sincerely telling people what he believes um, is a good thing. And he may forgive him for the sins that he is committing because of this uh, sincerity. But you don't go to, uh, to, to, to non-Muslims and telling them uh, about Islam, in Islam, you should not drink, you should not do it, and then to, to, next day they see you in a pub. Um, uh, <clears throat> someone said, some people invite people to Islam with their tongues and send them away with their deeds. Uh, so we have to be sincere. Even if we do something wrong, we have to tell the people. You, can't, you have to say that uh, I believe in this. I wish I could live up to my, uh, <laughs> uh, my beliefs. Uh, but um, I am not as perfect as you uh, might think uh, I am. Um, this is for uh, Sheikh Mamdouh. Uh, is it permissible for reverts to anonymously write their account of how they came into the deen for da'wah purposes, even though they might, they might reveal past sins? Is it permissible? Permissible or not for reverts, converts, to, to write about how they came into Islam while talking about their past sins? Did you understand it? No, Anonymously, though, not by mentioning, not identify, without identify, identifying themselves. I, I didn't understand. Do you understand the question? Alhamdulillah, salatu salam ala rasulullah ala The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. The Prophet sallallahu said, "Kullu ummati yadkhuluna al-janna illa al-mujahirin." All my ummah they will enter the jannah except those who disclose their secrets and their past and their shameful deeds. They will not enter the jannah. And this is a sickness common among the Muslims, especially those who grow in the culture that is not Islamic. And they have this problem of confession. They have to confess as if they are Roman Catholic. Okay, I have to confess. And they have to mention all my faith, all my past. Allah has hidden it from the people. No one knew about it. Why should you disclose it and reveal it? This is between you and Allah. Forget it. No need for you to mention. For instance, some, maybe uh, he is going to get married now. So he would tell the sister, before we get married, let us confess. You tell me about your past, I'll tell you about mine. Then we'll start a new page and everything is okay. And then they get married. Alright. Now let's say that he is five minutes late. He'll be watching. Mm. <laughs> Old habits die hard. <laughs> Something is going on. Let's say that he is five minutes late visiting her friend. That is ringing in your mind. Echoing. Why? 
because you knew about her past and she knew about yours. So the hadith here is very clear between you and Allah. Never disclose your past. You bury it. Some might, some they are devils. They come to you. Akhi, I know, mashallah, you are sheikh today. Not your sheikh, no? Uh, you are sheikh, you are this. But tell me, I'm sure that you are, you know, roaming around and things like that. Before, say, Akhi, astaghfirullah. You know, I'm not an angel, but this is haram to ask this question. So stop this for the sake of Allah. Please, brothers and sisters. Zakallah. Steward, right at the back, there's a brother there and then in front. One minute. Sorry. There is a misunderstanding here. I have been asked also by some of the brothers. They say the Sahaba, they were sitting in the masjid and they were mentioning their past and the Prophet ﷺ was smiling. This is a misunderstanding. Do you think that the Sahaba they were saying in the masjid we were fornicating? No. What the Sahaba was saying, you remember that idol which I used to make of date? When then I will eat it. So the shameful deeds, for instance, related to zina and stuff like that, we should not mention these things. Okay, we know, you, you, revert, you became a Muslim, you are a revert, and this is a norm in that community, in that Kafir country, so we're not, we, don't, we know. So no need for us to tell us about it. No need for us. Okay, the brother in front here. Uh, just, uh, I think the question asked if it's anonymously written, so they're not revealing uh, who they are. I think that's what the question said. So I just wanted to know if it's anonymously done. Yeah, anonymously, sorry. Yeah, the question was that the person does not identify himself. He doesn't write his name, but maybe under a different name he says, I did this and I did that before I was a Muslim. So can he do that by hiding his identity, confesses his past sins? Okay, the question should be when you want to know the ruling, it, be, it should be in the third per person, pronoun. You come to a sheikh, you don't tell the sheikh, I did this. Say, sheikh, what is the ruling for a person who did that? So you ask about the third person. So to know the solution, to know the answer, and to get the fatwa. Don't say, I did this. Because Islamically, if you come and you confess, I said, committed zina, there is khilafah. Had should be established. <laughs> okay, this will be the last one on this uh, on this chain, inshallah, and we'll go move on to a new one after this. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Sheikh, a lot of people, especially in the, in the West, uh, they've been the Muslims who came from originally from their Muslim countries, and they've been kicked out in one way or the other, and they came and they mixed in this country and they went to pubs and nightclubs and everything, they have a very good eyesight inside the kuffar and how they used to live, and they became part of it. When they, be, they came back to their religion, and they want to do that, well, they have to go back to these people they used to go with, not necessarily with them, so they not know them from the inside out. So the first thing you speak to them, some, some druggies come to you, and they, they think of you being you dressed up, you've got beard, you're dressed up in Muslim clothes, they think you're some kind of a backward. So you have to say to them, look, I've been there, I've done it, and alhamdulillah, Allah has guided me. So you really have to tell them about some of your past. If you're going to take a talk about ecstasy, maybe he took it. If you're going to talk about women, you've done that. So when you've, they feel comfortable towards you, 
they, you have already took the upper hand on the da'wah to say to them, come now to the light. So maybe if you speak about that, not intentionally to feel proud of what you did in your past, but as evidence how Allah, فَأَمَّا بِنَعْبَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثِ And you have to say that. And maybe I just want to say that, that's all. Assalamu alaikum. What to say? <laughs> they will think that if you are pious, that you are backward. If you are wicked, you are advanced. This is the outcome of the argument. If I was a wicked person, that means I am advanced. I was, you know. No. Here, this doesn't justify disclosing the, our secrets. The Prophet ﷺ made it very clear. But, here, Umar ibn Khattab used to say, I'm not a kind of person, but no one can fool me. And he said, A person who grows in, in, in Islam without knowing the Jahiliyyah, he will not be able, as a person who grew in the Jahiliyyah, then he knew Islam. And that's why the Sahaba, they knew the Jahiliyyah in and out, but never when they were giving da'wah to the, when we read the seer of the Sahaba, they used this technique. The best technique of the da'wah is the technique of the Prophet wasallam. And the example, just by your character, people should be attracted to the message of Islam. We should not disclose our past. So we fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is between us and Allah. Yes. Uh, but don't you think, Sheikh, this applies to things which you did, and which no one knew. And then you come, this is the, the, the wording of the hadith, يَبِيتُ يَسْتُرُهُ اللَّهِ وَيَبِيتُ يَهْتِكُ سِطْرَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ and then you come and confess and tell people. But if people knew that you did this, you did this, this everyone knows. And then they will come to embarrass you and say, now you are pretending to be a sheikh. Don't you remember what you used to do? Um, <laughs> okay. then in this case, you say, yes, I used to do that. And alhamdulillah, Allah hadani. And I have become a good, uh, inshallah, good Muslim. Like what, uh, this is, what Fir'aun said to Musa, you remember? When Moses came and invited him to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, don't you remember what you did? Yeah. He said, yes, I did it. I was, I, 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 I went astray when I did that. But now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave me and made me a prophet. So, 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 See, so, here so there's the a difference between the two. <laughs> yeah, the situation is different. Yeah. If there's a difference between disclosing things no. and a person now is been pointing no. and saying, you did this and we know you. No. In this case, that what, and this exactly happened in Sudan. No. One of the mashayikh in the, in the market was giving da'wah and no. token. No. And one said, oh, you remember we were drinking together? He said, alhamdulillah, Allah guided us. And he carried on with his da'wah. No. Okay? No. That is different. No. When I come voluntarily and disclose my... No, you have to differentiate. There's and something else that happened in the Sudan. It says that someone, sheikh like you, went to a village <laughs> and <laughs> he went to a village and he taught the people and were very pleased with him. And then someone heard him saying, La ilaha illa anta subhanaka, inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. what? You sheikh, you were from the zalimeen? You know zalimeen? So this is, so, so they thought that he was confessing <laughs> of, of, of uh, being from the Walimi.
<laughs> and uh, in addition to this, if you allow me, what we understood today from the uh, speech of Dr. Suhaib in the morning is that not only that you don't confess, but you, uh, if you, it is possible for you to move from the land that you made the, all these sin in. It's much better for you to move from it uh, rather than because there might be a counter effect upon you if you go back to these places and you start making Dao and then it, 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 it's possible. So it's much better to move to another place where people don't know you. Now we have to move on now. I'm, I'm sorry, brother. Um, because it, the others get disadvantaged because what happens is like only the brothers sitting in this hall, they, are, they get to ask the questions. And these questions have come from all over the place. Well, from the marquee, from the sister section, and so on. So I have to be a little bit ruthless and cut you, unfortunately, and we'll come back to you a bit later, inshallah. This is actually a question for Sheikh Jafar. Um, I what, have so many questions. Well, alhamdulillah. <laughs> but we're we'll trying we'll to follow an order here. It says, what should we do if there is a contradiction between English law and Sharia? For example, under English law, we must have car insurance to make it legal to drive. However, insurance is impermissible under Islam. Should we then drive without car insurance and risk getting caught or take car insurance and then drive according to the law of the country? First, uh, I usually say don't expect to live in a secular state and live a full life of a Muslim. It's impossible. You are bound to face some uh, problems like these. So, um, there is Sheikh here can make fatwa on that issue. But uh, I know of a brother, a Sudanese brother in, in the United States, um, uh, who tried not to obey this law. And he used to walk all the time. Then one of the Sheikh told him, no, you can't do this. It, it, it is extremely difficult not to use a car. Um, in, in, in a place uh, like uh, London or here or, 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 or whatever. So if you choose to live here, then you should obey the law in spite of the fact that it is, uh, it, it asks you to do something which is not Islamic. This is the price that you must pay for living in a country like this. In fact, this applies also to many the other Islamic countries. The fatwa would be about no comment. No comment. No, no, no. The, the he doesn't say I agree. He says no comment. <laughs> okay, uh, Sheikh Shabir Ali. Now they, they argue, meaning the Christians, I think that God is an e egotist or egoist. He just created us for His own pleasure, with no consideration for our own feelings or what we feel or suffer. So why should we worship him? Well, we should at least worship him in consideration of our own future and whether we would suffer or not. Uh, you know, people wonder, you know, why would God make human beings? Does God need human beings to worship him? That's for him to decide. Any creator has a right to create the beings that the creator chooses to create. That's the right of the creator. And as long as the Creator is not unjust to any of us, He gives us, uh, he, he tells us in the Quran, Alam najal lahu and I give him two eyes, walisan and washafatain, and a tongue and, and two lips, wahadainahun najdain, and showed him the two paths. 
So now, why does he not make the ascent? Why does he not come close to Allah Azza wa Jal? So once Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us and given us the choice to choose him, then it is uh, uh, our own fault if we do not actually choose him. So now, if you want to start, start speculating, well, why does the Creator decide to create us in the first place and so on, that's not going to help you, Akhi. <laughs> and of course, I'm speaking uh, in third person to people who will ask you these questions. Tell them this. Uh, that's not going to help you. What should help you now is your decision uh, whether to have this relationship with Allah or not. It is His right to create you in the first place for whatever reasons He wants, just so long as He is not being unjust to you to begin with. And uh, if you choose him, well, then you will ensure your own longevity and your own future. If you do not choose him, if you turn away, then you are bringing suffering upon yourself. And then in that case, you have no one to blame. And uh, you yourself now, being an egotist yourself, are now trying to condemn the Creator as being an egotist. And if you try to do that, well, then see what will be the outcome of those who try to condemn the Creator. But, uh, also, the question why... Um, is not to be asked about everything. You, you say why in objection to an act that is done. And you, you, you ask for justification. But um, um, if, if, if the act itself is, uh, if there is no objection to it, then there is no room or there is no point in asking why. If I, if I say to someone, why do you did this? I say because I wanted to do it. Then why did you put it here? I say so. Why did you put it? <laughs> there is no end to the question. I, I can't. I can't give an answer to everything. You are. If I say something wrong, if I take this tea and pour it on uh, my. Uh, <laughs> uh, then someone would say, "Why did you do this?" Meaning that this is wrong. So what is wrong with creating human being? If someone, I, 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 this usually is my answer. If someone says, why did he create human beings? I say, what is wrong with creating human beings? You have to answer the question. <laughs> uh, and also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not, is not in need of human beings. This is something perhaps they have in Christianity, I don't know. But in Islam, this is very clear. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is self-sufficient. He is honey. He does not um, create people for to, to, to do him any uh, favor. favor. Um, if, uh, according to a hadith of the Prophet, if all the people in the world were uh, like the most pious of them, this will not يعني, do any uh, good to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If all of them were like the worst uh, person, and again, this will not lessen or take any of Allah's... Uh, so uh, Allah is self-sufficient. He is not in need. He creates us. He sends uh, prophets for our own benefit, as we said uh, about the maslaha in, 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 the, in, in the speech. This for Brother Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif. If you see members of your own family committing un-Islamic acts, such as listening to Western music, or any music I should be, or keeping <laughs> pictures of kuffar, celebrities, etc., is it permissible to break these instruments or tear up the pictures? 
with intention of forbidding munkar when they do not obey. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala rasulullah. Inshallah, I'm going to leave the fatwa for, um, for the shiyu to, to explain. But what I, I want to say is that when a person does <coughs> when a person does do that, and I know in some countries, for example, when, um, when they introduced the radio in the past, and some people said it was haram, <coughs> they would take the radio out into the middle of the village, the person who had got the radio, and they would smash it in front of everybody. And this is the way it was. But did that take the radio out of their heart? It, it didn't take it. By smashing and ripping down the poster, the goal of, of helping the person come to the conclusion that this is wrong hasn't been achieved. All the person will do is wait till they're out of the house and they go to university or so on and then they'll bring the posters back. And if the music was shut down, they'll wait until they're in secret and then they'll turn it back on. So doing that hasn't achieved the goal of helping those people. And so a person needs to have more hikmah and more wisdom in looking in the long term. How can I help to take this person away from these things? But as for the ruling, I'll, I'll leave the shoot. Okay, the next, uh, next set of questions is for uh, Sheikh Salim al-Amri. Um, they're all related. It talks about Dajjal. I mean, is he a human being? First of all, from Sheikh Salim al-Amri, what, what is the Dajjal? What sort of creature is he? Yeah, the Dajjal, Dajjal is a human being, yes. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ, he thought that Ibn Sayyad was the Dajjal. So he's a human being, but he will not have progeny, he will not have offspring, he will not have children. And uh, in Sahih Muslim, that Adhan Abu Ayyub, one of the Sahaba, he was... Abu Ibn Sayyad was living in Medina. And in the beginning, before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed the Prophet that the Dajjal would not be able to enter Mecca and Medina, he thought that this is Ibn Dajjal. And not only that, some of the Sahaba still believe that he is a Dajjal. So this companion was with the Ibn, Ibn Sayyad going to Mecca. So and Ibn Sayyad started to complain. You see people there saying, I'm the Dajjal, and you know, I'm coming from Medina. And the Prophet said he will not enter Medina, so I'm not the job. And he convincing him. And the Prophet ﷺ said that the uh, Jal will not have children. I have children. So he said he convinced me. And all of a sudden he said, but I know his its place. I know where he is. Then he said he puzzled me. He confused me again. Yeah. Okay. So he is a human being. He is chained, locked in an island in the Arabian Sea. And he is waiting. And in Sahih Muslim, the hadith which is known as Hadith al-Jassasa, when the ship was, was broke down and some they landed on an island, Tamim al-Dari, and they met Dajjal. And he asked about the, the Prophet ﷺ. He asked about the lake of, uh, what they call it? Tabariya. Tabariya or Tiberius, what is it in English? Tiberia. And then the, the palm trees of Baisan. Baisan is in Palestine. He asked, are the palm trees in Baisan still bear fruit or not? They say, still. He said, the moment the, the, these trees, palm trees, they don't bear fruit anymore, that is the time I will come out. Can I just, uh, make a comment? Make a comment. Um, just going back a little bit about the, the smashing of things, because nobody made a comment. I'm going to maybe provoke the shiuch, inshallah, to give some comments on it. Number one is... Um, the person who is doing the Amr bil Ma'roof Nahi al Munkar, the Mutawwa, and you may have heard the name in, in Saudi Arabia. Some Mutawwa's 
are authorized by it. I'm not talking about Saudi Arabia, but if you have a Khalifa, some of them are authorized by the Khalifa to do the smashing. Other people are volunteers. And I think in a lot of masajid, someone picks out a pen, sees something haram on the wall, and then does graffiti. Amr bil ma'roof munka. And he says that I, I can do this, I can smash up the, um, the paper because of my opinion. And I can aggressively go and rip something up in the masjid. But then we ask the question, who authorized them to do that? Do they have legitimate, is there a khalifa that says you're in charge of doing this? Or are they a volunteer? If they're a volunteer, they may not have uh, that power. And I know when some people give da'wah, maybe a father is smoking for example, and the son says, let me go and burn up all his cigarettes and destroy all of it. Will, does that son have the authority you know, to go into his father's property and, and destroy things like that? I mean, that's the question, maybe the shuk can comment on it. Here I would like to mention the, the rulings related to the Amr bin Ma'roof and Nahan during the good and forbidden. The Sharia came to maximize the good and to minimize the evil. This is the purpose of the Sharia. The Sharia didn't come to maximize the evil. Never. So if the evil exists, if we can eradicate it and uproot it, then it is mandatory, mandatory, mandatory or obligatory to remove it. If we can minimize it, it is also obligatory. If it is in between, we don't know what the consequences might be. This is an issue of ijtihad and it should be left for the scholars. If we are sure by changing the evil, we are maximizing it and the evil will increase, it is haram to change it. It is haram. What stopped the Prophet ﷺ from constructing the house of Allah, the Kaaba, upon the real foundations of Ibrahim? Built, you know, the house of Allah, the Kaaba. Now it is not upon the, the foundations of Ibrahim. Because Ibrahim ﷺ, he built it until what we see now, this arch, which we call it the Hijr. That is the extension of the Kaaba. But Quraysh, when the house of Allah was demolished by a flood or a torrent, they decided before Islam to reconstruct it with halal money only, pure. But the money they managed to collect and to raise was not sufficient to build and construct the whole house. So they said, okay, we'll build this part and this will put a mark. The Prophet ﷺ said to Aisha, had your people are not newly reverted to Islam, I would have demolished the house of Allah and reconstructed and built it upon the foundations of Ibrahim. But what stopped him? If he did that, Say he is demolishing the house of Allah. There will be mafsada. Though building it upon the foundation of Ibrahim, it is something recommended. That's why when Ibn Zubayr was the Khalifa, he did this. He demolished the Kaaba and reconstructed it upon the foundation of Ibrahim. Then when Bani Umayyah came, they demolished the house again. They thought that Ibn Zubayr did something wrong. Then Imam Malik said, please. They wanted to, they told them, and they built it in this way, which we see now. Then when they knew that what Ibn Zubayr did is correct, they said, we'll do it again. He said, please, I don't want the house of Allah to be a game. When a ruler comes, he will demolish, another ruler comes, will. No. So we have to take these things into consideration. That's why, before doing anything, the youth are so enthusiastic. For instance, it happens in Egypt in particular. They set a bar, a blaze on fire. What happened? Whoever is having beer put him behind bars. Number one. Second thing, 
Instead of one bar, many bars opened on the same road. What did he do? What did he do? Nothing. What stopped the Prophet ﷺ from destroying the idols in Makkah in the early days? 360 idols, he was surrounded by them and he's praying in the house of Allah. And there is a weak hadith which is in Musnad Ahmad, people should understand that there was an idol on top of the house and the Prophet ﷺ and Ali came and destroyed it. It is weak. That cannot be used to support this argument. The Prophet ﷺ destroyed the 600 idols only when he removed them from their hearts. On the year of the Fath, he destroyed them and he cleaned the house of Allah. This is what I want to say here. Not only from the hearts, but also because he had the power to protect the power, them. Yes, exactly. Switch the mic on for him. I think you need to help him with the mic. Bismillah. Bismillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi This question is to Sheikh Salim Al-Amri. Um, it's just regarding the major signs. Uh, I've come across two opinions. Basically, the first one being that um, a person's Islam, accepting Islam or Tawbah, will not be accepted uh, after the, the sun rises from the west. And the second point, the second opinion being that um, a person's Islam or Tawbah won't be accepted as soon as one of the first major signs appear. So which of these two opinions would you um, say is more correct? Uh, the, uh, when the sun rises. When the sun rises. Everyone. Everyone. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. alaikum. Uh, this question is for Sheikh Al-Amri again. Um, ha, sorry. Actually, I've got two related questions um, to the... Can we just ask one, please? Okay. Why? Um, how do we know that which reference from Quran or Hadith should be taken in literal or physical meaning or metaphorical meaning. For example, you said rising of the sun is physical um, related to the last hour. And there are lots of other references as well. How do we decide that this should be taken um, physically, in physical me meaning or metaphorical meaning? This question, the answer needs a talk. And there was a talk, there is a talk was delivered on this which is known as Majaz. It's in English available, you can buy it, I think so. But, first of all, we have to know that from the Arabic language, that not, a, not only Arabic language, any language, the wordings are bound to physical entities. Okay? And then they, are, they will be used metaphorically. For instance, in Arabic, in, among the Arabs, they would say, I saw today a lion and I had a chat with him and he was very gentle. A lion. So here, a lion here doesn't mean the animal. It means a human being, but he is very brave. Okay. But if there is no, that's why we say the context. We should understand from the context. So here, I spoke to him, I had a, a cup of tea with him. 
So I, mean, I will conclude that he is using it metaphorically. But if you say, I saw a lion today, I, mean, I will conclude that you saw a lion in the zoo. Because that is the, that's the reality. So we should not resort to the metaphor and similitudes, uh, sorry, and what they call it, similes, unless there is a sign, there is an indication in the context itself. For instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, وَجَاءَ رَبُّكَ وَالْمَلَكُ صَفًّا صَفًّا That your Lord will come. Don't tell me his angels. He said his Lord. If I tell you I will visit you tonight, say he means his brother. What do you understand if I tell you I am going to visit you tonight? I or my brother? I, myself. Because that is the nature of the language. So things should be taken literally unless and until there is a context. And there are three types of what we call karina that will force us not to translate the text literally. What are they? These three, what we call three karinas, I think they translate it as context, but it's not precise. It's the context, but it is not exactly. It is, there are three types of karinas. One is the uh, religious one, or uh, technical one, or legal one, or shari'iya. The second one is urfiya, according to the norm of the people. And the third one is rational one. That is we should understand. For instance, regarding the rational one, in Surah Yusuf, the children of Ya'qub said to their father, Ask the village. What does it mean here to ask the village? Ask the walls, the dwellings, or ask the inhabitants? Tell me. The inhabitants. The, the people, people of, the, of the, the village. Because the walls cannot be asked. Why did we say here the inhabitants? Because it is something rational. Walls cannot be questioned. This is number one. Number two, it is that is known expression in the Arabic language. Something is omitted. Like in, in the poetry, Antar ibn Shaddad, this is one of the heroes among the Arabs before Islam. He is telling his beloved girl, his girlfriend, Oh, my cousin, oh, the daughter of Malik. Why did, if you want to know about me, ask the horses. He's not referring to the horses, literally. He's referring to the knights that ride the horses. But he omitted it. That's known in the Arabic language. So, sometimes the, the qarina will be rational. Sometimes the qarina will be urfiya. That is according to the norm of the community. For instance, Ya Haman, what Fir'aun said, Ya Haman ibn Li Sarha, Ta'ali ibn Al-Asbah. Oh Haman, Haman is the minister. So the Pharaoh told him, construct a tower for me, tall building so that I can climb and see the Lord of Moses. So now, Fir'aun wants Haman to go and mix the, the, the mud with water and make the bricks and build it by himself. Or it means, oh Haman, command others to construct it. That's the meaning. Because a minister cannot go and become, uh, what do they call it, mercenary. Work. A worker. And sometimes the karina, it is within the context itself. Within the context itself. That's why we call shari'iyah. For instance, the hadith the Prophet ﷺ said, 
صلوا قبل المغرب صلوا قبل المغرب صلوا قبل المغرب لمن شاء pray before the maghrib that's the sunnah after the adhan and before the fall pray before the maghrib pray before the maghrib pray before the maghrib had he stopped here that sunnah would have been fard obligatory but when he said liman if you wish this made it so in the absence of the qara'in things should be understood literally and regarding the attributes of Allah should be understood literally in the manner that suits his majesty nothing is like unto him and he's all hearer all seer though he said nothing is like unto him but he said he's all hearer all seer so Allah hears Allah sees and you hear and he sees but your hearing is not like Allah's hearing okay that's why the deviant sect like Mu'tazila etc they came to the attributes of Allah they say nothing is like unto him and they don't complete the ayah in this case, and the, the, I, I would like to add this point, the Qur'an is very, very precise. He said, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ He didn't say, لَيْسَ كَشِبْهِ شَيْءٍ لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ Because the shabah or the likeness will be exist between any two things that exist. For instance, I'm a human being, and this table now. There is a likeness, there is similarity between me and, the hum- and this table. This table has a weight, I have a weight. Am I a table? This table occupies space. Am I a table? I occupy space. This table is governed by the gra- law of gravity. Throw it, it will fall. Throw me, I will burst. <laughs> okay? Did I, become, did I become a table? How many... You see the, the similarity between me and the table? And I'm still a human being. Okay? So when you read the attributes of Allah, you should understand it in the way that suits His Majesty. Zakumullah. Okay, I think we should take a break. It's 12 o'clock. I was going to ask one last question, but I think we, um, we take a comfort break for about 10 minutes or so. Uh, that will give us the, uh, the opportunity for those who are tired to go and retire. I know that uh, Sheikh Salim and Dr. Mamdou has other engagements, so they have to leave anyway. So let's take a little break, and then if those who want to stay on, they can come back. We can continue for our next session, inshallah. Comfort break you call it, huh? Comfort. Five ten minutes, that's all.